This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, July 27th, 2016 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I consider myself a pretty liberal guy, but politically more of a moderate, definitely not a conservative. You know, I'm always asked. I generally try to shake off the title of liberal. I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up at a time when Roger Stone was cutting all these ads, comparing every politician with liberalism and too liberal for too long. But it's just that when I compare myself to the stances of very liberal politicians, like say Bernie Sanders, I say eh, a little too far to the left for me, but more moderate politicians like Hillary Clinton. I'm like, yeah, I'm around there. Now a conservative would define me as liberal and so forth. However, I got a good gut check test of liberalism today when I saw that alert in my phone that said, John Hinckley to be released from jail. And my immediate reaction was, no, no. I mean, this guy, he might be cured. He might possess a danger to nobody. But he tried to kill President Reagan. Just no. It was a gut check. And it shows that I'm not that liberal a guy. Recently or in the last day or two, I think conservatives might have gotten that gut check too. The first one was when Trump, who's running not for the conservative party, but the Republican party, he notes that, but when Trump said, should Russia roll into Estonia, I can't say we'd necessarily defend the Estonians. Now, I would think any conservative would say, oh, yeah. That goes against my self-definition as a conservative, although there's an economic conservative argument. I guess you could say I'm so economically conservative, I'm really into our NATO partners paying all the money they can, and therefore, I'm glad my conservative nominee is threatening non-defense. By the way, Estonia is one of the few countries that totally upholds its commitments to military spending as spelled out in NATO agreements. But then Donald Trump today said he thinks the Russians ought to start hacking into the Democrats. Now, at this point, if you are a self-defined conservative, how do you say, yeah, that's a good conservative point of view? I mean, I can understand you're like, look, I still like Trump. He has a number of strong points about him. He doesn't mumble. He's not overly subtle. I get that. But how do you hear what Trump says the Russians should hack the Democrats and say, yeah, I, I as a conservative can see where he's coming from. Or maybe you just rank the political parties this way. Number one, Republicans. Number two, Yadinya Rosiva. Number three, Democrats. Now, by the way, Hinckley, for the record, is not the first presidential would-be assassin to be let out. Well, John Flaming Schrank, Flamong Schrank, he was the crazed saloon keeper who put a bullet in Teddy Kennedy. That guy was insane, but he died in custody. However, Oscar Colazzo, one of the two would-be assassins of Harry S. Truman, a Puerto Rican nationalist, they killed his co-would-be assassin at the point of attack. But 
Collazo survived, and then his conviction was commuted by Jimmy Carter in 1979, and he lived another 15 years. It's a little bit of trivia for you. On the show today, I already did a spiel, an AM spiel, and a new one will be appearing in your feed at 2 a.m., a Democratic National Convention quick and dirty dissection. But first, thinking of John Hinckley, recently had this conversation with the star and director of the new movie Tallulah, and the director and writer, her day job is Orange is the New Black, and she wrote an episode that was directed by Jodie Foster. We got to talking about that too. But first, this conversation about the new movie starring Ellen Page, Allison Janney, and Tammy Blanchard, Tallulah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Tallulah is a bit of a drifter, possibly a wannabe grifter living nowhere exactly, hoping to maybe hike the Himalayas or something. She's played by Ellen Page. So she pops in on a boyfriend. It's pretty apparent it's an ex-boyfriend. On his Manhattanite mom, played by Allison Janney, to hit her up for money. Weirdly, no one says, I loved you in Juno. But then to complicate things, there's a floozy and then there's a baby. And now we got ourselves a movie. Tallulah's the name of the movie. It is written and directed by Sean Hader. And she's with me here. Hello, Sean. Hi. Thanks and for also me. here is the floozy who I mentioned. Uh, her name in the movie is Carolyn, and she's Tammy Blanchard. Hello, Tammy. Hi. How'd the two of you get together, first of all? How'd you cast her? Um, I was looking for a floozy, clearly. <laughs> and um, oh, no, I... Floozy is one of those words that has fallen by the wayside. It has. Very judgmental. Thank you for bringing it back. But I think think kind of applies in this case, though judgmental though it is. You know, what's interesting about that choice of word, actually, is that this is a character that at first glance is a lot of those words, Mm -hmm. you know, is a drunken, boozy mommy, is a, you know, a bad mommy, so to speak. And I was interested in taking one of those women and flipping them and subverting that kind of character. And so Tammy came in and it it was a hard part to play. And I knew it would be a very tricky part to cast because it could have been a parody of that kind of person. And I needed an actress who loved her and Mm -hmm. had compassion for her and could see that underneath all of that, there was a very lost person who was pretty broken and looking for love herself and had never grown up at all. So she was almost a toddler herself. And Tammy came in and auditioned and it was just riveting. It was sexy and dangerous, but then also funny and horrifying. (laughs) And you wanted to sort of run away from her and hug her at the same time. And that was the contradiction I was looking for in the character. And she just embodied that. Are you housekeeping? Yes. This is Madison. Can you watch her for me? I don't know much about kids, so... This is too much for me. Nobody ever tells you how hard it's going to be. I see all these women on TV and on the street, and they're doing it, and I... I don't know how. 
in the first scene where we meet your character, Tammy, and where she meets Ellen Page, she's a lot of things that Sean just mentioned, but also really vulnerable and ask first in two ways, you know, the dialogue asking her, do I look fat? But what she's wearing is obviously a statement. I mean, she's all tucked in with spanks and girdles <laughs> and the, and whatever the uh, current word for anything that's restricting one's, uh, you know, four inches of uh bodily fat from ever exposing itself. By the way, we couldn't even mic her in that outfit because it was so tight. There was no place to put a mic pack. So that was, there were sound issues in that scene because that outfit was so tight. Yeah, but that's one of those where I know actors always talk about, well, uh, the costume helped me, but it must have really dictated some of your choices there. I was terrified wearing that on set. I I was embarrassed. I'm not really a person that just drops her clothes in front of strangers at any given moment, but... It was fun and funny, and it went with the character, and I just had to go gung-ho, and Ellen Page was so sweet and wonderful, so it was it was easy. Now, did you do—I haven't seen it, but 10 years ago, you did a short called Mother? Yes. It seems like, from the description, I read a sentence, that that's a lot like the ca- Tammy's character. It's almost exactly the same, the scene. Should I put a diaper on her, or— My God, no. We pee in the toilet. She's one years old. Eh? Ma likes too white to wear a skirt. No. You think I'm fat, don't you? Uh, no. No, I don't. Once you have a kid, your body just isn't so tight anymore. Not everybody can be as skinny and tiny as you. Well, I've never had a kid. Uh, well, fucking don't, okay? Because let me tell you, that's it. A lot of elements worked about the short, and then there were things that I needed from those characters for the feature. So it was interesting for us to reinvent it with new actors and and figure out what it needed to be in the feature that it wasn't when it was a short. Did you think the feature was going to more be the story of the mother and then it turned into the story of Tallulah? Because she's not the main character in, in Tallulah. Spoiler, Tallulah is. But she's an important character. Yeah, I mean, I knew that I was looking at telling a story about, you know, motherhood and and an interesting, weird look at motherhood. And so I wanted to choose a person that was the last person you would ever expect to take on that kind of responsibility. And so Carolyn... But both uh, of Tallulah, those, meaning Ellen Page's Tallulah, character. Yeah. 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 Even and though so, Carolyn's the last person you want to be a mother, which is really useful for the viewer because if Ellen Page kidnaps a baby and you're sympathetic to the mother at first, you hate her the whole movie. So right. that can't work. No, I mean, yeah. you want, this is the, you know, the first pro kidnapping movie, yeah. you know, maybe Raising Arizona, right? <laughs> like, you know, to having people want to root for a baby to get stolen is a really hard thing to achieve as a filmmaker because, you know, you it's it's taboo to kidnap a child. But I think... And rightfully so, by the way. Some of these taboos are falling by the of, wayside, but I stand by that one. That one should probably, <laughs> probably color, exist. Probably, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I felt like, you know, Tammy... And I had a challenge in the fact that this was a character that you had to hate at the beginning of the movie and really, like, loathe her. And then halfway through the film, you start to feel something for her. And it surprises you as an audience member. And you fight that feeling. Mm -hmm. And then it creeps up even more. And you have compassion for this person that you don't want to have compassion for. 
you're flipping your villain. You know, you're taking your villain and you're giving them a real human sense of being. And and then that was that balance was so essential to the story working. Is the first the big scene when we first meet Carolyn was that the first scene you shot as Carolyn? No, we shot oh. our scene with Allison, Jamie, Margot, and Carolyn together towards the end of the film when they connect. It was pretty intense to start there because that's at the point where she's kind of stripping away all the nonsense. Yeah, that she's that's been... at her. That's her at her most sympathetic. But that's the last time we see her. I mean, that's right. all of these characters start off maybe as I don't know if it's unsympathetic. It's hard to be unsympathetic to Ellen Page. She has this like puckish charisma. But maybe the audience is in a position of judgment. And then what happens with each of them is we really meet the men that sort of ruin them or complicated their lives. Mm-hmm. And then, then it becomes a different story for all of the three main female characters. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, I don't think I set out to tell a story about, you know, men ruining women's lives. I think, you know, but they've all been abandoned in a sense, and they're all struggling with abandonment. You know, I wasn't going to make some deep, dark statement about that, but it's certainly an underlying theme of the film. And Ellen gets left at the beginning of the movie by her boyfriend, and, and that is the catalyst for her to go to New York, you know. Tammy's character, Carolyn, is so afraid of being left that her behavior has all become related to this fear that the man in her life that she's relying on is going to take off because she's no longer as pretty and young as she was. And, you know, the desperation, the reason she had a child was to hang on to him and that so much of her behavior, you know, she's come to the hotel to have an affair because if this man leaves her, she's got to find another man. Yeah. And and Margot was in a relationship. That's Alice that's and Janney's character. character yeah. For 20 years with a gay man. And was was so afraid, you know, she was in a sexless marriage and she says, I I didn't have sex for the last eight years of my marriage and I stayed. Like, she has lost kind of her sense of womanhood. Like, she's she's put that sexual creature aside and she's kind of gone like, you know, that isn't who I am anymore. And so the men, while they are the secondary characters in the movie, deeply influence the women who are at the center of it. And I think... It was important to me that those men not feel one-dimensional either. You know, no villain thinks they're a villain. So there's one part in the movie where Uzo Aduba plays a uh, social worker, essentially, child services. And she's uh, the actress who plays Suzanne, nicknamed Crazy Eyes on Orange is the New Black. And you're a writer on that show. So I want to ask you about that show in a second. But she has a line about how it's hard to feel sympathy for Carolyn for being a bad mom because she normally deals with people who are much less privileged. She doesn't excuse those women, but she can at least understand them. Is that line in the movie as a stand-in for what you assume the audience might be thinking? Is it there as, you know, that's a logical thing to think? Why why that line? Why that idea? It's what I think. Mm-hmm. You know, the movie came from when I first moved out to L.A. I worked as a babysitter at all of these high-end hotels. And I certainly wasn't Tallulah. I wasn't, you know, living in my van. But I was broke, and I was not of that class level. I had never stayed in a hotel like the ones that I was going to. So I think I had a lot of judgment about the rich people that I was dealing with, to be honest. And it did feel like, you know, in the cases where I experienced neglect or I saw women who didn't feel, and it 
you know, connected to their children or want to connect to their children. And in a way, that kind of neglect was masked by the wealth because they had housekeepers and nannies and it's something you don't see. That was something I think that I certainly had judgment about. And the film did come from a judgmental place originally. And then in the course of trying to get it made, I became a mom. And I had a lot less judgment because all of my cockiness about being a parent sort of disappeared once I was in it. I did want to ask you a couple questions about Orange is the New Black. When did you as writers find out, correct me if I'm wrong, but Laverne Cox has a twin brother who is non-transgendered and therefore can play? Um, that is the funniest story in the world, and I'm so <laughs> glad you asked that. So we, I wrote the episode, and I had this idea because I had I was doing all this research for the episode, and I was really scared to write an episode about the transgender community because I didn't, you know, I wasn't deep in that world, and it also wasn't in the zeitgeist. Right. It wasn't it's fraught. Uh, you say the wrong word, but also, what if not even if anyone complains, but you could get it wrong, and you know, deeply hurt people who haven't been misre- who haven't been represented traditionally. And you feel a huge responsibility sure. when you're taking on a character that hasn't been shown really on TV before and I remember talking to this woman from from this transgender support group and she said well does she have to be in prison and I was like yeah it's a prison (laughs) show everyone's in prison she said well does she have to be couldn't she be innocent and I was like no she can't be innocent because guess what she's a flawed person like all the rest of us and I think the humanity of that character and the fact that she had made mistakes and was flawed was something that made her pop and come alive but one of the people I talked to when we were when I was doing research was a former uh, SWAT team member who had been in the LAPD for like 20 years and captain and and then transitioned, which is just insane. And that was so intriguing. And then I talked to a firefighter who had transitioned and I and I just was excited to have this kind of hyper masculine job in her past and this identity. But Laverne, so we cast Laverne and then we're trying to, you know, maybe play have Laverne play herself. And Jodie Foster was directing that episode. So oh, we're like, wow. Laverne's going to play her. herself yeah. pre-transition. And that's really hard for someone who's been through that and actually, like, pushed aside all of those parts of themselves to make that transition and to ask her to go back and play a man. And it was just, there was yeah. something about it that felt weird and didn't quite work. And so we were looking for an actor who looked like Laverne to play her former self. And so we're casting and we're looking at all these pictures and meeting all these people. And Jody's calling me like, I can't find anybody. She was in New York. I was in L.A. And it was the 11th hour. It was probably two days before we were shooting or something like that. And I'm about to rewrite the script because I'm like, we just need to see her post-transition because we can't find anyone to play her pre-transition. So I'm rewriting the episode. And then we get this call like, Oh, by the way, Laverne never mentioned that she has an identical twin brother who lives in New York. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) So it was just like, and and then I was like, something's wrong with him. What's wrong with him? There's got to be something wrong. Like he's, you know, been horribly disfigured or there's something he can't play this part. But we met him and he's lovely guy and he was really good. And it was just, he's not an actor, but he came in and did it. And it was so amazing. Like it... Just because there was a fate, there was a transition where it's literally his face to her face in the mirror. And the fact that they're identical twins, I mean, that was just like magical moment. So I want to ask you one more question. This is one of my patented, if you really analyze it, it's not really a question. But I was th- I've been thinking a lot about Orange is the New Black. And I think that if you rank the great TV shows, it's up there. You know, Breaking Bad, great on plot. Deadwood, 
Dialogue, fantastic. Orange is the New Black, characters, Dickensian characters, setting, the comedy drama interplay. But it's not as intricately plotted, let's say, as some of the other shows I mentioned. And I started thinking, is this a flaw? And I said, the reason I don't, it doesn't scan as that much of a flaw to me is it's kind of the perfect milieu for that. It's prison. Things don't really change. So there, not a question, but what do you think of my theory? Well, it's, <laughs> I know I have you read, the show Pi- a have you bit. read Piper's book? I mean, not. nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> she goes to prison and nothing really happens. I mean, you meet amazing people, but nothing happens. Happens to her, and so I think when we started out, it was such a cool world. Yes, maybe it's not as like tight and perfect, but that tone that you were talking about, where it can kind of sway between comedy and drama, and that it's the tonally, it's very. It probably screws you guys up for uh, Emmy Award nominations. Every year, we're like a yeah. comedy, then we're yeah. a drama, then yeah. we're a comedy, and it's like, well, we're both. There should yeah. be like another category that's like, <laughs> we're like for where the weirdos get to go. Is there and a dramedy? No, no, there's dramedy? no dramedy. There should be dramedy. If there's claymation. Right? There should be dramedy, right? Totally. <laughs> I mean, but it is when it's the strength of the show, and it's the reason it's been hard to categorize, and it's the thing that helped me so much. I think when I was trying to get this film made is that Tallulah is similar. You know, it, yeah. it definitely has these intensely funny moments and these very emotional moments. And so the fact that I was a writer on Orange and people could look at that tone and go, oh, I see what this is now. Like I, Because people would read Tallulah and sort of not know what to make of it. It kind of lived in this in-between space. And so to get to have something where I could show, you know, and go like, tonally, this is the world that I like to live in. And it's a place that I like to live as a writer because the darkest stuff is so funny sometimes. Tammy Blanchard stars as Carolyn in Tallulah. Tallulah was written and directed by Sean Hader. And Tallulah premieres on Netflix and is in select theaters on July 29th. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. That's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson once petitioned her local newspaper to drop the cartoons of Jim Davis, thus earning herself the nickname of the Charles Gateau of the Laurel Leader. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, has looked at the AFC East schedule and determined that the Jets, unlike Leon Trollgosh, do not have a shot in Buffalo. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, knows that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but Squeaky Frome did not get the wheel because of, you know, the Geneva Convention. The gist, all of these stories of people who wanted to assassinate presidents will appear in the new Panoply podcast, Whistle Stop Stop. Oomperu depperu duperu, and thanks for listening.